to explore new ideas, to seek out new thoughts and new opinions, to boldly opine where no millennials have opined before. This is the Next Next Generation Podcast. Make it so. Welcome back to the Next Next Generation Podcast. I'm Catherine. And I'm Charles. Today, we are analyzing and evaluating Season 1, Episode 20, Heart of Glory. I heard you have something to say about this episode. You know it. Well, folks, we have asked for it. We have begged for it. We have wondered, where's Worf? What's he up to? Where's he at? We know he's a great character. Spoiler alert, we've seen a little bit more of this show than just the first season. I know that he blossoms into a fully realized character (laughs) later on, and he's an important and integral part of the crew. And we've been wondering, why has he not gotten very many speaking parts? Why has he not gotten his own episode? And finally, at last, we have made it. And here we are in this episode, a Worf episode. This was mostly a plot-driven episode, but the depth of it was both showing us more about Worf, and we got some hints about this in the last episode, but he is a complicated, fully realized person who has, you know, emotional struggles and that sort of thing. He's not just stoic. That's just how he likes to present himself. He's aware of his weaknesses and where he needs to grow. Also, this is really our first, no, this is our first time seeing the Klingons. I think this episode makes sense because this episode is so plot driven. Mm -hmm. It really makes sense. Worf is a man of action. This episode is full of action. Mm -hmm. And that just makes sense for the type of story they tell being the primary character is Worf. Right, right. You need some action for those things to come out for him. Absolutely. He wouldn't just sit around and think about it. It's not a Picard episode. Right. (laughs) Picard's our intellectual. Riker and Worf need something to happen to reveal things about their characters. One more note overall. I thought it was really interesting that the way they chose to introduce the Klingons to us, the viewers, besides just Worf, and he's a bit of an anomaly, was first by showing us these rebel Klingons who were trying to hearken back to what Klingon society used to be like. And that was our first intro. And then we see, oh, okay, this is not what they're doing anymore. I thought that was an interesting choice. Unlike what you often see, if you look at it from a very meta perspective, Mm -hmm. from a writing perspective, you usually establish the world status quo. And then there's an inciting incident. And then they go into the wilderness. And then there's the point of no return. And then the final conflict. Here, we're getting the inciting incident. They come across these Klingons, and you're immediately in the wilderness because this is not how Klingons normally act. They're actually showing us the differences first, and then at the end, you realize, oh, here's the status quo. And that's unique, and I think that's a great twist of the typical way a narrative unfolds in literature and in screenwriting particularly. So the two Klingons fulfill... What we thought we expected from Klingons. Yeah, they're playing into our expectation of primality, sort of these, again, alien primitive races we've been seeing time and again, Mm -hmm. not as sophisticated as Starfleet. And we realize there's actually more to them than that, and that's great. Even them, they're a little bit more sophisticated than some of these primitive races. One of the things was they seem poetic and high-minded in some ways. It reminded me a lot of Greek culture. 
They're very manly and battle-ready, but then they're poetic. But they're poetic about battle. They're not just grunting savages. They're artsy, but it's all back to war. They're artistic about war. Yeah. And their culture is really centered around a warrior and being ready as a warrior. Exactly. Gotcha. This is not just our expectations that we may have been subconsciously forming about Klingons based on what we've seen from Worf. Even the other characters. Now, when I think about it, it was mostly Riker. So, you know, Riker, aliens, not a good mix, okay? But when they find the Klingons on the other ship, Riker's like, Klingons. Oh, no. Here we go. And then the other characters have a similar reaction. But then when they're interacting with the what's really the Klingon civilization, yeah, I don't know if that was justified. That may have been a little bit of a cheat on the writer's part to help keep feeding our expectations of what the Klingons were supposed to be versus what they really are going to be like. I did notice that. Well, they're also hearkening back to the original series where the Klingons were one of the primary adversaries of the Federation. And so they're still playing a little bit on if someone's familiar with the old style of Klingons. Now the new version is coming out and they're playing on some of those tropes probably as well. Yeah, and I guess it could be that even though the Klingons have moved on from that, have a treaty, a good treaty with the Federation, the individuals in Starfleet might still have some biases and not really understand them and still have that reaction. They're not comfortable being around Klingons, even though it seems that the Klingons are fine, really. I agree. I think Riker is the classic unreliable narrator. And in this case, we have to really remember that he is extremely suspicious of all alien races. I would love a Rashomon-style episode where Riker was one of the narrators. That would be amazing. They might do that. A lot of TV shows did that. (laughs) In the 70s and 80s, they would have a Rashomon episode. So, anyway. Moving on (laughs) to the episode. Engage. Oh, I'm keeping that in. Okay, so there's a disturbance in the neutral zone. They've foreshadowed it wonderfully. Yes. You've heard rumors. Back in Angel 1, they were going to rush off to the neutral zone. Data was ready with the ship. They've been teasing it that there's some issue happening between the Klingon Empire, the Romulans, and the Federation in that trilateral area of space between them. Finally, this is all coming to a head. Yeah, they've done so well mentioning things in other episodes. So it just doesn't come out of nowhere in the episode where they really delve into it. So there's really ominous music. Some music we haven't heard before. Right from the beginning. Yeah. You're launched into it. It's dark. It's heavy. Dissonant. Great stuff. They get there where they have detected a disturbance and... All that's left is one ship in terrible condition and some debris. They speculate a lot. Riker thinks it must be Ferengi. (laughs) Once again, showing his biases. Has to be those darn Ferengi. Can we take a quick aside here? Absolutely. Okay. In the episode where they meet the Ferengi for the first time, the Federation basically knows nothing about them. That's right. Nothing. They don't even know what they look like, okay? How is it that now it would just be no big deal if they showed up in the neutral zone? It'd be a huge deal. Okay, not no big deal, but like possible at all. It seems like they were too far away for them to even be around the Ferengi. 
Like, no human had ever interacted with one. The chances and the likelihood of that is very low. I don't know why he immediately jumps to, It's the Ferengi! That's nonsense. But you know, the Klingons later say it was the Ferengi. That's right, they do, don't they? It's like now that they're part of our awareness and the crew's awareness, they can just be anywhere, which is probably not, that's not good writing. Anyway, that's just a little aside. Not a big deal. We can move on. So it might be Romulans. They could be cloaked. Very dangerous. Great tension in the opening scenes. Everything's high stress. Everyone is sort of gathering around. It could be a trap. Picard has Riker assemble the away team, and he picks Data and Geordi. I'm sure this has been talked to death, right? Like how people go on away teams and they shouldn't? Yes. Okay, we won't then. We can just say no one should have been going over there, period. How about that? Fair. (laughs) It could be a trap, likely a trap, and then you send your first officer, your second officer, and even your third officer all off ship. All of them. Onto an unstable, highly damaged vessel. And we saw how that pans out. They nearly get killed. They really, it was very close. So close. Great cinematic tension. For a moment, you're not sure if they make it or not, but we'll get there. It would amp up the tension if we got to know some more characters who could go on away missions, but they weren't, you know, the first, second, and third officer. (laughs) They could have actually died. That would have been better. If we know it's possible that they're going to kill a few characters, a la Game of Thrones, Mm -hmm. it makes everything so much more high stakes. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe they're trying to push back against the red shirt syndrome uh-huh. of the original series where every other episode someone dies. I think we had mentioned some things like that before where they could make it more cinematic. It's definitely an improvement on the original series in the sophistication of the writing, but they just weren't doing that kind of thing when the show was made. Like To work, to establish a new character and then kill them off and you never know who it's going to be, that's very much of our time. They're a fun team to watch, though. And we got to see Jordy's awesome visor where he transmits what he's seeing back to the main deck of the ship, and Picard even orders it onto the main viewer. I thought the way they portrayed it was great, actually. You could see it was kind of electrical auras, infrared, ultraviolet, some other stuff. Static, all overlaid onto a very distorted, very avant-garde, art-pop style. Mm what Jordy has to delve through, process mm-hmm. through. Although it did raise the question with us, why don't they have body cameras <laughs> in general? That's true. Yeah. They have the technology for these long-range sensors. They can magnify. The computer can magnify. So obviously cameras and sensors is part of what they can do, and yet personalized small cameras is not something that they have. Of all the things they've thought of in this show, that seems like less of a leap than a lot of the other things. Again, I know I mentioned this before, the way they do the touchscreen technology, that looks great. Yes. They could definitely think of shrinking down something that they already have. So a micro camera or smaller camera makes sense. In their badge, yeah. Yes. That would be so useful for communication, enhance everything. Instead of the way team having to talk to the bridge constantly and check in, they could just be showing them in real time what they're seeing. But I think it makes for better television having them interact more by talking and you get to see the process and the thinking happening. Kind of old school. I like it, even though it makes more realistic sense to have them all have body cameras. Now, based on our own time, we could write in a whole story 
where webcams and monitoring devices got more and more invasive and they had to push back so hard that they even took them off things like this where it would make total sense to have them because they could never be sure if those cameras were off when they were just doing their own thing and didn't want to be monitored. I agree. That's a real problem. Yeah, it is. And it makes sense, I think, from that perspective. But, of course, we can't really give the writers credit for anticipating that. No. That's, that's too much. Data and Jordy have been playing with this technology of transmitting his visor. But apparently Picard has never gotten to play with them. He completely forgets about all the danger and all the things they're doing and the fact that they're in the neutral zone and just wants to chat with Jordy about what he's seeing and how it works. And Riker has to interrupt and break it up. Very funny. It's great to see that in the face of new information, Picard is absorbed. Riker being a man of action is, hey, we have a job to do. Let's stay focused here, people. Riker's right, but it's so true to Picard's character that he would be distracted that way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They find the Klingons. Riker says, it's Klingons. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> One of them is dying. So like we mentioned, they come back to the Enterprise and they barely make it. And we mean barely. They're buffered into the transporter pad and the ship blows up and then they form crazy. Yes, they're dead for a minute, I think, technically. Technically, they're dead, yes. Their energy pattern is out there, but their matter is not. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Gary. Very. Very lucky, very close. They kind of brushed by it a little, although Picard's acting sold it as usual. He had that face. He thought for sure he had just lost his number one, his number two, and his number three all in one go. I don't think that the away team knew that happened. They didn't act like they knew, no. and Yar didn't give it away. She always has that poker face on. Yeah, well, he sent Yar there because they were getting Klingons. Right. But I think also maybe she was even better at operating the transporter. That's what I got. Even she barely got them, and it seemed like she was really doing something to do it. So the Klingons have their official story. It also involves Ferengi, <laughs> like we mentioned. What are the odds? Sorry. Like we mentioned, I can't even say that without laughing. It's so ridiculous. Hey, it's Star Trek. So the Klingons say they're passengers on a Talarian vessel. They were attacked by Ferengi. <laughs> oh my god, that's, I can't even get through that's this. That's laughable on the face it of it. Is. And then they kind of drifted into the neutral zone during the battle. Quote unquote. This story doesn't really convince anyone. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. Oh, oh, plus they say the Ferengi had Klingon weapons. That was the weapon signatures they read. Oh, yeah, that makes it even worse. Uh, Klingons are not good at lying. No. Not like the Ferengi. Well, they're not good either. They just think they are. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> they do seem in this scene, though, where they're first talking to Worf and Picard and telling their lies and everything. They are, even now, more polite and well-mannered than I would have expected. Yeah, they had a certain dignity and grace to them. They almost have like a slightly higher language, more flowery. Harkening back, like you said, to the poet's sort of mentality. Yeah, they're poet warriors, knights, Greeks. Anyway, though, they are very suspicious. We don't believe them either. <laughs> Worf goes back, takes them to their room, and they eat. They give him a hard time. They really do. Mm -hmm. 
and really poking him and prodding him and calling him names, insulting him for being soft among these inferior humans. They were trying to get him angry to see if he was still angerable. They do want him to join them if possible. They're trying to see if he still has the warrior spirits or if that's been all softened out of him by being with Starfleet, which from our perspective we see is a pretty militant organization. Yes. <laughs> but the Klingons don't. But they like to make battle for its own sake. At least these ones do. Right. Okay. These ones, they're longing for the good old days before they actually existed. So they're romanticizing it a lot. Later on, you know, Worf points out to them. They're forgetting duty, honor, loyalty. They're just taking the war-making part and casting off the parts that make it less fun. Yeah, they're really looking for conquest, and they seem driven to find it wherever they can. These are rebels, and these are terrorists, in a sense, really wanting to get back to the quote-unquote good old days, like you said, Mm -hmm. going so far as even to defy the Klingon Empire. Yeah, they think they know better than the entire Klingon Empire. Yeah, they're longing for something they don't actually know, and they're getting it wrong. As Worf points out to them by telling them that they're not thinking about things like duty and honor. Right. So the injured Klingon dies. They have their death roar thing. That was cool. Apparently that was the first time non-Klingons have seen it. Surprising, but okay. Seems unlikely because this would probably happen during battle. Yep. And we also see them take something off the dead Klingon's shoe very discreetly. Well, not really, but discreetly enough. They pass it off like it's part of the ritual. Of course, later they use it to fashion a weapon, but they do it so casually and calmly that anyone onlooking, all of the Enterprise crew at this point, probably assumes it's part of the ritual that they're doing, that taking something from the fallen warrior as a token or memento to honor them is a matter of course. That's true, especially since they don't care about the body. So taking one thing from his person would make sense. They say several times that it's just an empty shell to dispose of it as the Federation wishes. It makes sense, actually. That's a very practical attitude, especially when you're making a lot of wars. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you don't have to deal with all the bodies. You don't have time to do that. Sometimes you just have to leave them there. So we find out Worf was raised by humans. What? We find out, you know, he was taken in by the humans before some important Klingon age, which is probably some kind of puberty thing. Yeah. So he was very young. Wow. He was raised by farmers. Not very Klingon-like, is that? No, after being abandoned after an outpost was destroyed where he lived with his Klingon family. Probably some very kind and noble humans. Yes. (laughs) To take in a Klingon, two Klingons, right? Him and his brother. Yeah, that's uh, ambitious. Very ambitious of them. To their credit, I think, that they would take in and shelter two Klingon boys like that. And we can see that this has affected Worf. He is milder, more even-tempered, and he has embraced the path of a warrior of controlling one's own emotions, trying to master himself inwardly and be a better person outwardly. Unlike these other Klingons, which blame the society around them, and they try to control the outward things and let the inward things do whatever they want. They're very hot-tempered and fiery. We see in Worf that there are things about Klingons that are innately different from other species. But they have more capacity to understand others and live with others than maybe the rest of them realize at this point because they just haven't pushed themselves to do that yet. It's easier for them not to mix too much with humans and other species. 
We've seen that the Klingons really have separated themselves and have not integrated with other societies. Obviously, there's no reason Klingons can't integrate better, just like all the other aliens do. Yeah, and have done. It kind of makes you think maybe Klingons are a larger population, much larger. (laughs) A lot of these people are just one planet, and they're not even a very populous planet. And that makes sense. They're a warlike people. They've conquered other planets. They themselves and their race have propagated Mm -hmm. and covered maybe many planets. And because of this, they are perhaps even as large as the Federation. That would be some good data to look up. Yes. Honestly, they're a lot more like humans than a lot of these other races. They have the urge to conquer. Humans have the urge to explore and conquer. They just haven't taken the time to bridge that gap yet. Literally. Literally. Anyway, the two Klingons tell Worf, you were too young, you needed other Klingons to help you grow up properly, and you must have felt the call to war, etc. And Worf says, yeah, I have. He's really channeled it by joining Starfleet, I think. I think so, too. Then we find out they commandeered the Telerian vessel and attacked another Klingon vessel and destroyed it. That's a major problem. Yes, it is. It's such a problem that the Klingon Empire sends another vessel after them, and that pushes the story along. It's a big no-no to kill other Klingons. To be fair, they do seem like they have some legit honor code stuff that they do follow. Yes. Even these rebellious Klingons don't hold a little girl hostage when they have the chance. That's just not how they work. They're much more straightforward. They only engage in battle. They don't engage in trickery, underhanded stuff like humans and other races do. It kind of begs the question. They said that they had to wait and act like they were surrendering, a little cowardly, and then they destroyed the Klingon vessel after it dropped its shield. So even still, you can see that these Klingons are a little scummier than Mm -hmm. the rest of them, and they don't hold to that code as purely as one could. Maybe they were able to justify it to themselves with the ship. When it was up close and personal, it was too much. So they're looking for a place where they can be proper Klingons, which is kind of ridiculous. They can't wage a two-Klingon war on the entire galaxy. No, very ridiculous. The main Klingon, Chorus, you can see him get more and more desperate throughout the episode and go to greater lengths to maneuver his way into escaping this other Klingon vessel that's come after him now, pushes himself to hold the entire ship at hostage at one point, and you can see that he's really lost the bigger picture. He's so focused on becoming a conqueror that he forgets that he's only one Klingon. Yeah, he can't conquer anyone by himself. This unknown vessel is coming to intercept the Enterprise, and that is the Klingon vessel we've mentioned. The captain is Canera. He tells them, we're getting these guys because of what they did. We're going to deal with them. Worf is a little torn throughout this episode. Not as much as everyone thinks he is, though. He has some emotional pull towards, you know, his brothers, as he puts it. But it never really interferes with his loyalty to Starfleet. It's just like in Data lore, everyone thought Data would just take lore over the Enterprise crew. And that's just not how it works. Right, I think so too. Mm -hmm. He does seem like he's waffling a little bit, but he's just considering their viewpoint, I think. Yeah. When compared to his own values, he holds fast to the Federation. When Picard and Canera are talking, Worf asks to speak to Canera. Wow. I was like, whoa, this is not normal. That's a huge ask. And everyone just stopped and was like, what? 
Picard said okay. It was an interesting scene. That's why I bring it up. That, yes. That he would do that. And then Worf just wants an honorable death for Chorus and Cormel. And actually, Canera says they can't do that because they have to keep their law very strict. Because apparently this is probably something that's always around possible people being rebellious, wanting more warlike Klingon Empire. Going rogue. Yeah, they can't allow this to go by. But he's really quite nice to Worf and says he understands, etc., etc. This is really where we start to see like what the Klingon Empire is actually like. We're getting a representative of it through Canera, and we can see that they have a very strong government. It's very ordered, very lawful, maintaining control over their people. But they don't seem as cruel and harsh as we might have expected. It's not barbaric. No. It's more civilized, for sure. It's just strict. Yes. So this is where the Klingons make their weapon, Chorus and Cormel. Part of it is that piece they took off the other one. They blast their way out. They actually do kill someone. We do see a red shirt fall. Yeah. Cormel gets hit. They say later he's dead, but I thought that was just on stun. The blast was yellow. It looked like stun. Maybe all the hits stopped his heart or something. He did get hit like four or five times. Well, he wouldn't go down. <laughs> Maybe it was too much. He was really fighting with yeah. all his might and was not going to be taken down lightly, as we saw. It does seem like multiple stuns could kill you, potentially. Chorus leaves him and heads to the engine room for his big standoff. He's going to blow up the ship if he doesn't get the ship, which is ridiculous again. He's totally deluded. He's not seeing the bigger picture. It doesn't take much for Worf to talk his way close enough to make a move. Because Chorus thinks Worf might join him. Right. Which, again, is all just in his mind what he's thinking might be possible. It's not based on anything Worf has really done. So he kind of talks him down and then Worf kills him. He does. Really dramatic death scene where he smashes through a glass deck, falling to a lower glass deck and cracking it and you see it from below. Pretty good. Great cinematography. Yeah. Really nice angles, different takes, a lot of close-ups that are quite intense and gritty. I really like the way this whole episode was shot, but particularly the final scene, some really nice stuff. They've already had to put Canera on hold. <laughs> When they lose the prisoners before they're supposed to make the transfer. Right. And at that point, Canera's like, um, you guys probably can't handle them. Do you want help? And Picard's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and hangs up. I thought he should have taken the help, honestly. I could see that, yeah. But he wants to save face in front of the Klingons. That's a toughie. I mean, that's why he hesitated, right? No. Peace out. <laughs> okay, so after that, then they have to get back on and be like, yeah, they're both dead. So see you guys later. We did it. See, we told you we'd take care of it. It didn't go quite like we planned, but it's all it's all good over here. <laughs> we told you we could take care of it. <laughs> By any means necessary. Any means. Canera's uh, like, okay. He seems super calm and just unruffled about everything. Once again, talks to Worf mm -hmm. and shows him a lot of respect. Yeah. Mutual admiration. Offers him a place aboard Canera's ship once Worf is done serving his term, his duty to Starfleet. Worf rejects that as soon as they hang up. That's right. But honestly, that's a great fit for him. He has a unique perspective into humans for a Klingon, and he'd be a great diplomatic asset to the Klingon Empire. But he'd also be a great diplomatic asset to Starfleet. I think he has this pull towards his species, but intellectually, he identifies more with the Federation. More with humans, particularly. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense, because he was basically raised by humans. Although we do see him interacting with his parents later, right? And it's a little awkward. A little. As an adult, I think he has a tough time 
relating to them individually, even though he's comfortable with humans as a group. Actually, he is the most like Spock in this way. Spock being half human, half Vulcan. He's too human to be Vulcan, too Vulcan to be human. Worf still wants to be a Klingon, feels that he is a Klingon, doesn't really fit in with these humans, but then he's too human to be a Klingon. The writers said, oh cool, put a Klingon in, they'll be at peace now. And then they had this brilliant idea one day, let's have him be adopted by humans. That's why he can get along with them. And then once they picked that, they realized they could use him a lot more as a character because it would be easier to show inside his mind and the inner workings of his emotions. Just like with Spock, he's half human. So you can actually get in there. Where if he were pure Vulcan, it wouldn't really be convincing to have him show that part of himself. It'd be one-sided. It'd be very flat. Yeah, we'd never see in. And we would never see in Worf either. We've seen a lot of him, especially with his conversation with Wesley in the last episode. Right. Look at how much more open he was with these Klingons who were strangers than he is with any of the other crew. Pretty open. Yeah, they're totally frank with each other, even though they're guarded around humans, and he still is doing that. I guess he learned that when he was very young. Or it's just instinctive. I think that's at least possible. Yeah, I think so too. Before we go on to our final thoughts, we decided, in honor of this finally being a Warp episode, yay, Woo! to do a Warp of the Day and just pretend that Data wasn't sidelined in this episode. Warp says, The true test of a warrior is not without... It is within. So, what were your final thoughts about this episode? I liked this episode overall. It was great to see Worf's philosophy. He is someone who holds tight to the virtues of duty, honor, loyalty. My only criticism of this episode is that the plot unfolded in a very unsurprising way. Kind of knew how it was going to turn out. And so, for me, that kind of takes a few points off from being a really great episode. So, I would give this episode 8 out of 10 covertly assembled Klingon blasters. So would you say this was a solid Star Trek entry? Well, I don't want to be cliche. <laughs> it's only your cliche, so it's okay. It's Star Trek. <laughs> this was a fun episode, mostly action, a great intro to the Klingons. They felt very fully realized. The writers have clearly put a lot of thought into their culture already, kind of indicating that they're going to be important in the future. They're not a throwaway, like a lot of these people. Everything was good. There wasn't really anything wrong with the episode. Didn't quite come together and reach something higher, like some of the other episodes have. So overall, I would give it a 7.5 out of 10 uploaded energy patterns. This has been Season 1, Episode 20, Heart of Glory. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Next Next Generation Podcast. Today, we are delivering our thoughts on... <laughs> no, 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 I thought I could start trying to mix it up. <laughs> delivering our thoughts? Yeah. We're going to package it up like an Amazon no, box we're not, and I'm pop it on. This. I'm cutting this. Today, we are telling you what you should be thinking about season one. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not what we're doing? Was I misinformed? <laughs> you sold this to me as me telling people what they're supposed to think. <laughs> we could use this in the end. I think so. It'd be funny. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter. Add us at the next next gen. We don't do any paid promotion of this podcast, and your word of mouth helps us to grow our show. 
please leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and Stitcher. That really helps us out. Thanks to everyone who listens regularly, and we'll be back soon with another episode.